and we're looking around the house and I see two horribly hideous looking little dog like creatures in this house. And my buddy, he sees them too. And they look really nasty, vicious. You know, they have like disjointed elbows that like their front legs look like a Cloverfield. You know, the elbows are all kind of jacked up, but the head is kind of like upside down. It kind of looks almost like a person, but almost kind of like a dog or almost like a wolf or something. And the, uh, the torso is really, uh, thin when the ribs are sticking out and it's got spiky, uh, spine bones sticking out of it. It's really nasty. And so I'm like, well, what the heck are these things doing in the house? You're listening to River City Mystery Podcast, the show that delves into the Evansville and surrounding tri-state area's mysteries, including unsolved crimes, murders, and disappearances, a show that isn't afraid to jump down the rabbit hole to investigate reports of local hauntings, sightings of UFOs and cryptids, among other paranormal phenomena. With your host, co-founder of the Humans of Evansville Facebook page, law office worker by day, insomniac researcher of the unknown by night, Matt Dyg. Welcome to episode six. I'm joined by Joe Wegent, founder of EPIC, which is an acronym for Evansville Paranormal Investigations and Consulting. Joe retired as a detective after 23 years with the Evansville Police Department. He hosted the World Beyond Radio Show, where he interviewed other paranormal investigators, psychics, tarot readers, among others. He's a sixth-degree black belt in Okinawan Kempo and a martial arts instructor at Club Bushido. Every year, Joe leads tours of Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. He's a psychic and spirit communicator, and Joe owns Tri-State Holistic Wellness, where he uses a combination of energy work known as Reiki, tuning forks, and other emotional and physical healing modalities to achieve holistic healing and well-being. And I could go on, but that's enough to get me started here. So thank you for joining me today, Joe. Hey, thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. I I, I love doing these radio shows, and I, I actually loved it whenever I ran mine, but, uh, you know, sometimes those things don't get to work out forever, but, uh, thank you. And for inviting me on here, this is, this is a great privilege. Well, we'll start with Epic, which is Evansville paranormal investigations and consulting, um, which other than sounding awesome, what exactly, what exactly is that? And what do you do? Um, I get a, a lot of calls from people who want to join the group and they want to go out and try to catch pictures and get recordings and, and, uh, do a lot of the EVP type stuff that they see on TV, but that's not really w what, um, my, you know, what, what Epic does. Uh, and I've had other people that have worked with me over time, but just trying to get scheduling, working together with, with third party folks. And sometimes it just, it, it's really cumbersome. So it's, it's, um, normal, normally it's just my wife and myself mm -hmm. and people will, will get a hold of me either because they've seen me on the website or they've seen me on uh, the travel channel or whatever it is. And they will, uh, they'll describe to me the problems that they're having in their house, you know, the foot stomping and voices and the shadow moving around the halls and the kids and dogs are freaking out. And, you know, sometimes it's even things like, you know, the salt, salt shaker is being thrown around the room and pictures flying off the walls. So, um, you know, my wife and I will go out and what I, what I honestly do, and it looks very boring from the outside looking in, I couldn't do a TV show on what I do because the camera guy would fall asleep. <laughs> I honestly, I, I just walk into the room and I open up and I let my senses just kind of, you know, float free. And I just start asking questions about what's going on in the house and things will start appearing to me. And I start getting the, the hints of what's going on and, 
And then uh, it, uh, about 99.4% of the time, it's usually some uh, cranky dead person who doesn't want to give up his house. Mm-hmm. And or it's, uh, you know, some other disturbed person who has passed on and just doesn't want to let go of something or who is uh, uh, attached to a person, place or thing. And so then what I do is I, I cross them over and then I, I do an energetic cleansing of the house. Uh, sometimes we smudge. And um, then after that, the, the house calms down, everything's settled up and, and we go. And that, that's that's basically what we do. Um, I, I, I used to have, um, business cards. And I think I, when I, um, had a website for that, I, I would refer to it as a paranormal resolution resolutions specialist, because a lot of people are really interested in the paranormal, but they're interested in it from the scientific point of view mm-hmm. about saying, what can we actually capture that can lead us to some kind of indication that there is some kind of a, a, a life after physical death and demise. And while I was a member of groups like that, what I see on TV and what I've seen from other groups like that is that, you know, they'll, they will arrive on scene and set up gobs of equipment and, and they'll spend hours and hours, sometimes a couple of days trying to capture some evidence of what is, you know, something that will meet what the client is complaining about. Right. And then. At the end of it, a lot of the groups will go, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. We caught this voice. You know, we, we've been listening to these uh, recordings for two weeks now. And we got this one voice on this one answer where, the, you know, the guy said, get out or leave me alone or buzz off or mm-hmm. whatever. And then that's it. That's the end of the, the thing. And and see you I, later. <laughs> yes. Yeah, hey, you know, yeah, your house really is screwed up. Yeah, you're right. right. There's something in there. We think that there might be some evidence that something could possibly be going on, but we really don't know what it is because there's no scientific evidence and blah, blah, blah. But hey, but thanks for letting us come out. And I'm going, you know, that's not enough for me. People are complaining. They need their problems solved. That's what I do is solve the problems. And so I'm not, I'm not disparaging any group that's going out there. Everybody needs to gather up the evidence. And I think everyone needs to know the answers of what's really happening and what's going on. But I just talk to dead people and tell them, to, you know, hey, you 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 got to go. There, there's a there's a a path for you to travel, and you're you're stuck on this rock, and you got to go. And so, not only do I allow the decedent to experience their own peace and uh, to further their uh, pursuit of their path in the overall existence of the the life of their spirit. But I also bring peace and resolution to the people who are living in the house that all they really want to do is just uh, redo the bathroom. You know, because oftentimes it, it, it most of these, uh, it, you know, let's just say, for example, and let me just conjure up something here. You got a, a guy who dies at the age of 78, and he's been living in that house since he got married at the age of 20. Okay, so he has spent the entirety of his of his existence in that house, and he bought it when it was just a shack, and he spent his whole life putting everything he's got into fixing up this house and making it better. Right. And, you know, retired 20 years ago. And now he's run out of money to fix it. So the carpet's dated, the cabinets are, you know, still 1983. And, you know, but he's he's happy. He's lived there his whole life. His wife is gone. And now his time to go and bam, he's dead. He unzips the meat suit and he steps out. And, you know, within six months, the kids come in and clean out the house and put it up for sale because they'd rather have the money than to save the old man's house. Right. So some 20-year-olds move in there. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, let's just say, you know, they, they, they might have a young kid with them. Uh, they might not have a lifestyle that might be pleasing to the 78 year old man. What is here? He is in his spirit, in his mind, he still is as alive as he was before he unzipped the meat suit. Okay. And so he still is under the impression that yes, this is my house. And sure, I don't have a body, so I can't interact with it anymore, but I'm not leaving my house behind. Mm -hmm. And even, even whenever the light comes in and it gives him the opportunity to move on, he's like, but no, I can't leave my house. I have to watch after this. So then, you know, the light kind of goes away and he's like, no, I'm going to stay right here because this is where my home is. And then the younger couple starts, you know, tearing out the walls and pulling up the carpets and they start ripping down the cabinets. And the old man goes, hey, hey, hey. Right. Hold on. You know, I remember putting those cabinets in by hand. And then next thing you know, the salt shaker comes flying across the room. And then they call me up and they go, oh, I have a demon. Like, no, you don't have a demon. You, 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 there, you, you don't have a demon. I've been doing this for, for years and I've only ever run into maybe three things that we would even apply the name demon to. Okay. And so, no, you don't have a demon. You got a cranky old guy. And so I'll come over there and tell him, okay, dude, seriously, it's not your house anymore. Um, I'm going to call the light down and it's time for you to go in and this is where you need to go. Trust me. All the people you love are there. Nothing that you love is here. This is where you have to go. You have to put this chapter of the life of your spirit behind and become something new. The next time you have to come back as a different person. Next time you have to go in here and go on to the next section of your travels, whatever that is, you'll understand it when you get there and they cross in. The house settles down. The people are happy. I do an energetic cleansing of the place and then we're out. We're gone. Well, why do you think some people decide to stay, stick around and others move on without some sort of intervention, like from someone like you? Um, there are a number of reasons. And I, I teach this whenever I, I go see people's homes or like if I teach uh, classes on paranormal things like that, some of the reasons are number one. Um, they've been taught their whole life that after you die, God comes down and he judges your whole life mm -hmm. and you're either going to go to hell forever, or you're going to go to heaven and you're going to play a harp on a cloud with a white, a white robe. And you're going to sing, holy, holy, holy all day, or you're going to go to hell and you're going to get punished and everything's going to be miserable. And so they don't want to, they don't want to experience that judgment because there's no human being that's ever been alive on earth. that can look back on his life and say, I never made a mistake. I, I never did anything wrong. I never, I mean, th th none of us can. And that's the whole point of human life is that, yeah, we come here in order to learn these lives and in order to have these experiences because it's, you know, it's what we have to do. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these people don't want to go into the light because they're afraid of the judgment. Okay. Because okay. they're not entirely certain that they were good enough to get to heaven. And so they're like, I'm not going in there because I'm not going to go to hell. And some of them, they don't want to go in because of an attachment to a person, place, or thing. They become attached to, hey, look, you know, th this is my 32 Ford. And I've been, I've been sanding and, and painting and, and working on this thing my whole life. I've won a bunch of shows with it. I'm not leaving this car. I don't want something bad to happen to it. And they'll have a choice of staying here, see what happens to their favorite car or their house, or I've had a case like this before where the, um, there was an older couple in a house and one of them died before the other. And so the one who died first, um, it was the old, it was the, uh, the husband, mm -hmm. he died first as 
as normally happens, men die first. Right. Uh, I joke around and I say, you know, the reason men die first is because we want to. <laughs> so, so the, the guy died first and he said, no, I'm not going to go because my wife is alive. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, I'm going to stay along with her. Okay. Well, she being in flesh still was unaware of these kinds of events transpiring. So she lived out the remaining years of her life. Uh, the kids decided to put her in a home somewhere. She soon after, therefore, uh, unzipped the meat suit and went on. But the guy, um, you know, he had still stayed behind. She died and she's like, okay, I'm ready to go be with Jesus. And she went right on in and he got left behind here. Okay. And so he was stomping up and down the halls in this house and, um, he wasn't entirely pleased at, you know, being at the age that he was when he went, he wasn't pleased because of the culture and the time period that he was raised in a young lesbian couple had moved into his house and had their kids there. Okay. And he wasn't really on board with that kind of thing. Right. And so he was stomping around the house and you could hear him moving up and down the halls. And I had to say, buddy, this ain't for you no more. Right. Look, I know, I know you've lived in this house for 48 years, but it's time for you got to go. And so, you know, I was able to get him to move along and look, here's your wife. She's over here on this other side. You have to go there to be with him. And once he realized, you know, geez, I found my wife now. Now he can go. And so the house immediately calmed down. Everything was cool. And, and we, we left. So there's, there's another reason why. Sometimes <clears throat> people don't go. Uh, and you'll see this at places like Gettysburg and uh, Antietam mm -hmm. and some of the other Civil War uh, battlefields is in the midst of battle, you know, they say you never hear the bullet that kills you. You can hear all the other ones zipping around you, but the one that gets you, you're never going to hear it. Well, sometimes they, their life is snatched out of them so quickly that they don't realize they're dead mm. or they do. And there's a, there's this, this thing among brothers in the military, like I'm not leaving my buddy behind. We're never going to leave a man behind. And so they're like, boom, they get shot. They're immediately just, they're dead at the age of 20. And they go, look, I'm, I'm not leaving my buddy behind. I got to watch after my, my, my swim buddy, you know? And so they just don't go. Um, sometimes, and we've seen this, um, there's a hotel uh, down in Louisville, uh, pretty famous for having a haunting there. Um, the uh, couple, a young couple, years and years ago got married and the the brand new husband uh somehow don't know but he fell down the elevator shaft oh no and she found out and dived in after him okay and so you can still see her there in her wedding dress in the hotel down in in louisville oh wow. some people yeah there have been sightings of her and so you have that kind of a, an episode where that's just not going to happen so, um, so, I mean, in situations like that, where you, are, are these people's souls just constantly reliving, jumping down an elevator shaft? Or is this like a, some sort of a imprint, like a spiritual imprint on space? Or like, what do you think is going on there when, you, when people are seeing like a lady in a wedding dress jumping down a way, uh, an elevator shaft? Um, well, here's the thing. They're, like we said, spiritual imprint. <clears throat> Whenever I go into a house, um, there is a different energetic feel to whether this is a residual print or residual energy or if it's an actual active um, 
person who's actually in the, the building or what often happens as well is they will, they will die. They will then go into the light, but then choose to come back voluntarily to visit their relatives. Mm, okay. And so that is entirely possible. And because they're coming from the other side of the veil, they have more power to visit with. So if you're just a spirit caught in a, like a place like Waverly Hills, okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you have very little energy to tap into in order to make an appearance. So, which is why we see a lot of shadows. And you'll see that on, on some of these TV shows on, on TV, you know, like ghost adventures and, and some of these other shows like that, where they'll, they'll, they'll capture video of a shadow moving across the hall. Right. Well, that's a shadow because there's not enough energy for them to actually produce a clothed image of themselves in body in order for you to look at. So they're pulling that. That's why we get the cold spots in the basement. So we get cold spots in hot rooms or whatever. They're actually pulling atmospheric energy in to try to create enough energy to manifest the visage of themselves in order to allow us to see them as a contact. And so I, sometimes the most they can conjure up is just enough to make a dark spot in the room. And then we go, oh my God, it's a demon. It's a demon. It's like, no, it's uncle Ned. I'm here to try to tell you something. Okay. Yeah. And, and is, so, is that, is, is that why like EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, is, is it like just an energy, you know, is that why some can maybe show up as a shadow and others show up as a voice or some sort of a noise or something like that? Well, um, the psychic medium, John Edward, and I, mm -hmm. I've seen him, I've seen his shows before, uh, in per in person. And I, yeah, I've, I've. I have watched the line of people standing behind him waiting to get their turn to talk through him. It's fascinating. And he described in one of his books, he said, for a departed relative, especially one who's crossed over, for them to come down and visit us and have any kind of a conversation with the living, because we're on two different ends of the radio station here, in order for them to slow down enough to be able to make contact with us at this vibration level. It's like trying to make a phone call at the bottom of an Olympic swimming pool. It takes all the energy you've got just to get down there to the phone. And once you reach it, you can't stay very long and you can't talk very much. So oftentimes, and this is why like EVPs get caught on tape is because EVPs have a much broader range of um, uh, gain. You, know, you work radio shows, you know what gains on a mic are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the gains on a mic are much broader than the gains of our ears. We only listen between 20 and 20,000 hertz. Mm -hmm. Okay. The lowest radio station on your radio in the car is 88.1 hertz. So that's four times what we're allowed to hear. That's why you have to have that device to slow those signals down to the point where the human ear can pick them up. On a radio scale, let's just suppose that you and I here physically, our bodies are at 88.1. Now, the radio goes up to 107.8 or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you see, dead people are like 421.5. They're way up there. So we can't listen to 428.5 or whatever I said. So we're on this one radio station. And sometimes, you know... If you're trying to tune in with your car, the older cars that have the knobs on them, and sometimes if you turn the knob just a little bit, you get a little fuzz. 
and the stereo light will blink on and off. You know, some of the younger viewers with the newer cars won't understand this, but sometimes when your knob is just not quite on, you get a little bit of static, a little bit of fuzz, and the stereo not light is blinking on and off. You're not quite on it, but you're picking up other stuff. And some people can pick up other stuff. And sometimes when the mind wanders, that's when most people say that they're picking up things. It's like, okay, I'm settling down for the night. I'm just sitting here, just zoned out watching TV. And all of a sudden, that's when everything's happening. I say, oh, no, uh, it's always happening. It's just that's when you're noticing it. But for a departed person to slow down from 425.8 and come all the way down, what really happens is they get down to about 100. Okay. And so we have to try to speed up our va- our vibration from 88 up to as closest to 100 as we can. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is there's a gap because if we could both meet at the same station, at the same vibration, we would be able to have a walking, talking, back and forth conversation just like they were living. We'd be able to talk back and forth, no problem. But what happens is there's a gap about how far they can slow down and how fast we can speed up. And so there's this gap. Now, if you take that on a, on a graph and you mark it over time and time is the linear and the vibration speed is the vertical, then what you have is because of vibration, because of like electrical energy follows a sine wave, you have an up and down series of, of frequency and you have amplitude modulation where there's a different strength behind the signal. So if I'm trying to talk to a dead person, I've got my mind tuned into that channel and I'm trying to get myself there to have some kind of a a point of contact and they are in the room and they're slowing down as much as they can. And we've got this gap over time. The gap will close for a blips here and there. So what happens is if I'm trying to say, okay, Somebody says, hey, look, I want to talk to Grandpa Jim. All right, fine. Grandpa Jim. And I try to, I try to get, you know, hey, whatever you're doing, if you've got time to come in here and talk. And over time, I will get vowel sounds. Over time, I might get a picture of a dog or a car. Or I might get a picture of a house. Or I might get a feeling about something. Or there might be some emotional content attached to something I'm being shown. Mm-hmm. And so I have to put all that together like a jigsaw puzzle. And okay, say, look, I'm seeing a great big brown dog. It kind of looks like a Great Dane, but beefier. And they go, oh, yeah, that was, that was, you know, that was grandpa's dog. You know, his name was so-and-so, whatever. And that just recently happened to me. I'm like, okay, why is this dog running through the room now? Right. It's it's not a Great Dane, but it's not a St. Bernard, but it's a great big brown dog, a black dog with brown spots on it. It kind of looks like a Dobie or a Rottweiler, but big. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was, that was, you know, that was dad's dog, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, okay, so what about this truck I'm seeing? It's an older truck. It looks like it might have like a tow winch out the back. Oh, yeah, you know, dad would go out and buy cars and he would tow them home and we'd fix them and blah, blah, blah. So it's not like having this back and forth conversation. Where two people can just sit down and, you know, smoke a cigar and chew the fat. It's more like I'm trying to put together the pieces of, okay, so I'm in this house and these people are complaining that there's something in this house that's not really happy with them. And I go, okay, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? What's your name? Why are you here? When did you die? How long you been here? And blah, 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 blah. And I hear a vowel sound that might sound like Fred or Ed or Ned or something like that. And so I got to figure out, okay, I'm hearing this E sound, this, this vowel sound. So what does that mean? What, what does that actually, I mean, what am I picking up? Right. And so then 
I have to ask the people who are living in the house. Is, is there, do you know somebody named Fred, Ned, Ed, uh, you know, any other kind of sound like that, Ted, or, you know, it, does that mean anything here? And they're like, no, I mean, my grandpa's name was Ralph. And I'm like, okay, well, then it's nobody connected to you uh, that we can, that we can establish at this point. So I have to sit here and try to figure out these puzzles. And when people come in with the, the equipment and they're recording EVP, and if you've done this, you'll notice that like sometimes if you're, you know, in order to catch EVP, you have to talk out and hopefully get a response. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the good ones will actually say one question and then shut up for 10 or 15 seconds. The bad ones will just like, where are you? Who have you been? You know, what was your name? Where'd you live here? Where'd you die? What'd you do? And like, well, you let him answer the first question, man. Come exactly. On. Give him some time. You know, like you, you slow it down. These people are still trying to interact with this world yet. And so what happens is because the wider gain of the microphone and the greater sensitivity of what it's able to pick up, these little blips can be captured on that, that digital media. Okay. And so whenever we're talking back and forth with whatever could be in the room, we're getting these little blips of answers. And audibly, sometimes it only comes across as a knock. Okay. Have you ever experienced that where you're, you're, you're trying to record an EVP and you're asking a question and like down the hall, there might be a thump or a knock, or it sounds like, like a shoe fell on the floor or something like that. That is the actual answer. That's what we can hear out of that. But when, when you slow that tape down, what you get is, you know, I died. That's all you'll get. And it comes across as a, a knock like that. Right. A knock. And you're like, okay, you know, I heard a knock. And if, you know, somebody go, oh my God, it's a demon. It's like, no, it's not a demon. That was the answer. I'm going to go play this tape back and sit here for the next six hours trying to play this back. And it's going to come across as something really fuzzy that we can say, it kind of sounds like I died here. That's got to be really frustrating for the dead people because you're trying to like convey messages to the people in the house. And it's like, oh, they think, you know, like you said, it's a demon or somebody's trying to scare the hell out of me. But uh, it's that has always been the impression that I get when I go into houses mm -hmm. and I'm talking to spirits and all that. They get so incredibly frustrated. I mean, because imagine you're still like right now, I still feel like I'm a 25 year old man. I'm, I'm much, much older than that, but I still feel young. I still feel vital. I still feel, I mean, I, I go out and run and I, you know, I, I work out and I'm, I'm in pretty good health. And on the inside, I'm just as young as I was when I was 25. I'm just, I just, over the years now, I have better and better experience of being 25, but I don't feel as old as I am. And so when I die and unzip this suit, I'm still going to feel like the person I am, even though I'm looking down at my own dead body sitting there on the floor or in the hospital bed or wherever it's going to be at that time, 40, 40 years from now. And so I can look down and go, yeah, that's my, that's my freaking dead body. And here comes my, my adult children in here who are all, you know, 50 and 60 years old. And I'm going to try to talk to them. It's like, don't worry. Everything's cool. I'm right here with you. I'm going to be behind you. I'm taking care of you. And they're like, oh my God, dad's dead. Like, no, I'm right here in the room with you. And it, it, the people that I have talked to, both living and deceased, it is incredibly frustrating when they're trying to get a message across. And um, just, you know, people are either, oh, it's a demon or 
I think it's my grandmother. I need you to make sure. And that's the ones I really enjoy. It's like, okay, well, let's find out about grandma and let's see if we can, you know, find out who's in the house and what's going on with that. And we'll try to answer those questions for you. Now, how do you know, how can you tell the difference between just a regular, you know, spirit of a human and a demon? Because you said you have had a few experiences with what you think were demons. Like, how how do you know? Um, Okay. It, it would be like, how do you know you're listening to country on the radio versus listening to classic rock? Okay. It's a different wavelength. It's a different energy. Um, people, as much a dicks as we can be to each other, and trust me, we can be dicks, right? I don't like to use the word demon because it has too much church attached to it. And this isn't about none of this is about religion. Because our religions here on earth have nothing to do with these things that come in. And so I don't like using the word demon. And the word demon itself, there's a whole history I could talk about, about where that word came from and how it got distorted and how the the, the church during the Middle Ages uh, altered the definition of that word to make it something else. And we do that in the English language a lot. Anyway, we will change the main meanings of words to fit the times or the purpose. But if um, okay, let's talk about a house I went into. Um, I got called into this house because the people were complaining there's something really, really bad here. Um, the 14 or 15 year old daughter has been drawing some really, really scary pictures and we're getting like lights are turning off and we're getting a lot of really bad feeling in the house. And th this, th this really feels horrible. It's like nothing I could put my finger on. It just really feels bad. And there's just this really, this horrible emotional content in this house. So the friend of mine that knows these people contacted me and says, Hey, I think we got a house we can go see. All right, fine. Well, he is also gifted and I've had him on some uh, investigations with me. So he and my wife and I, the three of us go out and we go take a look at this house. And let, let me do some explaining first before I finish the story. Okay. When these things are in people's homes, they um, imagine it this way. So imagine that you are hurtling through space in a spaceship mm -hmm. at a billion miles an hour and you're you're just screaming through space and all of a sudden you know you blow a gasket in your spaceship and there's a planet nearby and you know you you scan it and hey it can support you you can breathe on this planet all right fine so you're going to take your smoking squeaking sparking spaceship and you're going to crash land onto this planet now your ship is busted up and you can't get out so you're on this planet now, far, far, far away from Earth. And you step outside, and yes, you can breathe without your spacesuit on. So now you're wandering around. And this place looks an awful lot like Earth. The plants are a little bit different, but yeah, it's okay. It's the same. And you notice on top of the hill, there's a farmhouse up there. Mm -hmm. Now, as a human being, you know that you need certain things to survive. You need food and water now. You need clothing soon, and you're going to need shelter eventually. So here you are wandering through this, you know, you're approaching this farmhouse and you notice outside on the clothesline, there's bed sheets and there's some, uh, 
some farmer's overalls and you go, okay, I've got clothing and I've got sheets I can make a shelter out of. Now, are you evil if you go up there and take the bed sheets to make a shelter? I mean, honestly, are you sinister and evil and demonic because you took the bed sheets? Right. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. No, you're not. You're not an evil, horrible demon who's trying to steal someone's soul. You're just basically trying to get by the night without freezing to death. You're also not an evil, sinister, soul-sucking demon because you took the overalls. You're also not a soul-sucking evil demon if you notice that the lady of the house has an apple pie cooling on the windowsill like they used to do years ago. And you take the pie because, man, you got to eat. Right. But that doesn't make you evil. I mean, sure, yeah, it's it's a dick move to take food from other people. But, I mean, it's not like you're going to go to the work. Okay, because you can't really interact around this world too awful much. So, hey, there's a pie there. You're going to take the pie and eat it. Okay, you've survived now. But that doesn't make you evil. So let's translate that to some of these things that tend to come into our world. By quantum physics, our world is simply a manifestation of the vibration of the energy that makes up the entirety of the universe. Every planet, every beam of light, every photon from every star in the sky is all made of the same stuff. It's basically energy vibrating at different speeds in order to construct different levels of matter. Your body is made up of the same thing as your chair you're sitting in. This is quantum physics. It's, it's, it's not even equals MC squared stuff. <laughs> it is exactly the equals MC squared. Yeah. And that formula basically states that matter is energy and energy is matter. Some of it has manifested into a place where I can make dresser drawers out of it. And some of it is light beams and photons, which bounce off of stuff and come into my eyeball so I can see the dresser that I'm looking at. And sometimes it's, you know, even things like thought are quantum physics. We think things and they become things. So the entire universe is built on vibration of energy operating at different frequencies and speeds. Now, this particular earth that you and I are standing on, you're in your spot wherever it is you are, and I'm standing here in my spot where I am. This earth and all the the stars and, and skies around us and all the planets and everything on this universe is operating at a specific bandwidth of frequency. There are more stations on the radio, which means that, yes, as we exist here, the multiverse theory says that there are other vibrations and other universes in other places where other things can exist on those locations. We are not all that there is in the universe, and I've never, ever once tried to believe that we are. So there are other things on other dimensions. Sometimes. In the fabric of this time and place, sometimes there's gaps and holes and tears in our world. And sometimes some things get through from other places and can't find their way back. And they become the stranded astronomer or uh, astronaut. I see. Okay. So now they're in this realm. And well, at best, you might see a shadow moving around. So now I have to determine if that's a shadow from a dead person trying to manifest or if that's a shadow from something that broke into this time and place and is trying to survive. Now, some of these things that come in from other places, they realize that the real fast food, the McDonald's food that they can get a hold of real quickly here is emotional energy. 
So now in order to eat, they have to be able to conjure up emotions out of these little beings that are scurrying around on this planet. So now if I wanted to make you feel something, it is much easier for me to make you feel fear than it is to make you feel joy or love. Okay. That's true. Okay. Because if you and I were standing in a room and I lunged at you really quickly, you would be fearful. Right. Right. Instantly. Even if I yeah. come, even if I were to come in for a hug, you would startle at first. Right. Like, okay. What's the, what, you know, wow. Yeah. That was quick. That was, uh, abrupt. That was, you know, us, uh, you know, unsettling. Now I can eat. So if I'm this little thing that comes in from some other place in the world and I need to eat, all I really have to do is conjure up enough energy to make a sound or stomp my foot or uh, knock something over. And you're going to go, holy shit, it's a demon. Oh my God, oh my God, it's a demon. Right. Ah! And then like, okay, now I get to eat. So it's like the apple pie is the fear. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Now there are just like there are, you know, Hey, look, I'm not going to try to, to, you know, whitewash this. There are some people on this earth who have jobs that are of a, um, of a different level than other jobs. You know, we have generals and we have senators and, you know, we have uh, CEOs of major corporations and we have people that, uh, you know, they, they, take out the, uh, the trash at the end of the day. So that way the place can operate cleanly. Right. So we, we have different levels of different kinds of, of things that happen here on earth. There are different levels of these different kinds of things that happen that tend to break into our world and inhabit here. Now, some of these things are what I call commander level beings. These guys, they can boss these other little ones around and tell them what to do. And, uh, and I've seen that happen. So. Knowing all of this, let's go back to this house I had to visit. So we go in there and we're looking around the house and I see two horribly hideous looking little dog like creatures in this house. And my buddy, he sees them too. And they look really nasty, vicious. You know, they have like disjointed elbows, like their front legs look like a clover field. You know, the elbows are all kind of jacked up, but the head is kind of like upside down. It kind of looks almost like a person, but almost kind of like a dog or almost like a wolf or something. And the, uh, the torso is really, uh, thin when the ribs are sticking out and it's got spiky, uh, spine bones sticking out of it. It's really nasty. And so I'm like, well, what the heck are these things doing in the house? So my buddy and I, we, we get down and we basically get rid of these things. All right. Okay. And we're going through the whole house and we're cleaning everything up and there's nobody to pass on. There's just a whole lot of really bad energy in this house. And I looked at him and I go, there's something else happening here. There's something else in this house and I can't find it. And he says, I've been feeling that way the whole time we've been here. And I said, there's something else and I cannot leave because something else is in this house and it's hiding from me. So I gathered everybody in the house up, the mom, her daughter. Uh, the new boyfriend, I said, I need everybody to come in here in the living room, sit down for a second. I need everybody to just be quiet because I got to go to another place to find this thing. And I pulled a kitchen chair out and I sat it in the middle of the floor. And I said, I just need everybody just to sit still and just hang on. So I kind of went astral for a little bit and I went to a different level 
of existence for a moment to try to find what this thing was in the house. And I never could find it. Um, what I found myself in was a huge, um, a huge room. And there were like tapestries hanging from the ceiling, huge, long tapestries. And they would move and create an ever evolving labyrinth. So as I'm walking through this, I hear a voice who says, she's mine. You're never going to get her back. And I said, you don't understand who you're dealing with. Once I get through this maze and I find you, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And yes, you will be letting go of her. We're taking her back. Mm -hmm. And he says, you will never get her back. She's mine and I'm keeping her. And I said, buddy, you just said the wrong words. Well, I have kind of like a working agreement with the Archangel Michael, who does this kind of stuff because it's his job. And he and about 20 of his fellas came in and whooshed over my shoulder and went in and everything disappeared. And I'm like, okay, I want to get into some of that too. Hey, this is my fight. I was the one who showed up here and I started going forward. I thought I'm going to follow them in there and I want to get my taste of this, right? Well, another angel came in and grabbed me and she says, you can't go in there. And I go, no, wait, this is my job. This is what I do. This is all I'm going to, I'm going to have fun with this. This guy defied me. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to take my licks out too. And she said, you were never supposed to take care of this. We just needed you to open the door so we could get to it. Mm, okay. And I said, well, that's kind of no fun on my part. And she goes, no, no, no. You allowed this to be taken care of tonight. It was because of you and your abilities that you allowed us to get in the door so we could go in there and get this thing out of here. Trust me, it's over. You set it in motion. Yeah. Yes. You were the, the key that unlocked the door that allowed us to make this happen. I said, okay, as long as I did some good tonight, I, then that's all I care about. You know, I just wanted to make good, but trust me, I wanted to get my licks in on this thing, right? So now, next thing I know, I'm back in my chair and I'm looking around the room and everyone is gawking at me. They're, I mean, they're looking at me like I just grew horns, right? And I'm like, what, what, what are you all staring at? And they're like, wherever you went, whatever you did, we felt that in this room. Is that this room changed the tone, the humidity, the temperature, the lighting, everything in this room became so much different. Wherever it was you went affected here. And I went, well, okay, well then I know I'm not making that crap up. Right. 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 Now the girl, the 14 or 15 year old girl that was there mm -hmm. when we showed up that night, she had about the mental capacity of an eight or nine year old. Psychologically speaking, and you can talk to some psychiatrists and, and psychologists about this. Oftentimes, if you have a person who is not acting their biological age, it sometimes can indicate in some instances, I'm not going to say it's always, sometimes it refers to some kind of abuse as a child. And so because the child had to endure some kind of abuse at a particular age, they kind of, you know, had to like go someplace else in their mind for a while while things were happening to them. And so oftentimes they don't emotionally mature past that point too very far. So when I showed up that night, I'm like, okay, I wonder what's been happening with this person because she's not acting 14 or 15. She's acting nine. 
And I thought, okay, well, I can't say anything about this right now, but uh, this is something that's very interesting. Well, by the end of the night, after I had gone in there and, and done all that extra work, suddenly now there was a 15-year-old girl in the room. I know it, it sounds crazy. I know it sounds weird. And I, 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 I'm sure to your listeners, it sounds like I'm making this whole thing up, but there's, there were three other people in that house that all saw the same thing. And it's like, okay, this girl has returned back to normal now. She's acting her age now. And it was just, it was just one of those very weird instances where I can say, yeah, you know, over the course of time of doing this, I've run into some, some really weird, goofy, wicked stuff. And that was one of those times where I can say, yeah, this is why I do this job is because of this. Wow. This, this is why I took on this role is because I can save people from that. Mm -hmm. Where you're making an actual difference in their lives. You know, you're I'm making, making a difference. difference. Yeah. I'm improving the conditions of people's existence in a way that it very few people can, can affect in that way. And so I go, okay, this is, this is why I'm here. And so that's why I do these things. And you've done, uh, oh, how many cases have you done in the area over the years? Oh, geez. Probably, probably 150. 200. Oh, wow. That many. Wow. Yeah. I, I used to, I used to keep like a running journal of them and it just got to the point where, okay, I've, I'm not even writing them down anymore because we would go and we'll be there for like an hour and a half. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You got somebody to cross over here. Bingo, get them across. And, and that's it, man. I used to write them down and then I just started forgetting to come in and write them down. <laughs> and the next thing you know, I was like, okay, what was the last six houses we just did? And my wife were like, I can't remember. There was that one dude, but that one place and that one thing. Just another paranormal investigation. Uh, you know. Yeah. Actually, um, I think it was a year ago. Uh, my wife and I went to a house, uh, at a, another smaller town east of here. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was, uh, it was in Boonville and okay. There was this 80 year old guy there and his wife had died and he and his wife had always felt like there was some stuff happening in the house anyway. And Okay. You know, it happens in every house. I mean, people, it, people are under the impression nowadays that like when you die, you go someplace else way, way far away on the other side of the universe, you're someplace totally different. That's not even here. And you're over there somewhere wearing a white robe, playing a harp and you're on a cloud and everything is just glorious and happy and, and romantic. And that's not how it is. You unzip the meat soup and you're still walking around here. I mean, you can go to any restaurant and kind of open up your senses. And there might be eight people eating in the restaurant and four of them might have somebody standing next to them. And so it's not like, oh, geez, there's a dead person in the room. How unique. And you know, like, no, it's not unique at all. It's, this is every day. So we go to this house and, you know, this, this 80 year old guy, he's, you know, he's like, yeah, my wife's died and, you know, things have kind of ramped up since then. And I got this, this, this new girlfriend and. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the new girlfriend and she's like younger than me. Okay. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's not, it's not yeah. too difficult to figure no, the picture out no. here. She's he's, he, yeah. 
you, you know, the old lady is kind of miffed <laughs> off about this. Sure. And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at my wife and we're both thinking gold digger. You know, she's she's like 50. He's 80. And she's sitting there smoking cigarettes. And you're like, yeah, we got you pegged, babe. Or we've got, you know, we've got your, we got your number written out. And so they're like, hmm. And you feel kind of like your your dead wife is uh, kind of in the house, kind of throwing things around at you, huh? And he he he's not really getting it, and we're hinting around about it. And he's like, "Well, I think she's I think she's kind of pissed because I'm you know, um, well, this weekend we're gonna go to Vegas and get married." And I'm like, "Oh, you think? <laughs> Are you serious?" And we're looking at each other like, "Oh, this is this is glorious, right. you know?" Yeah. Okay, so. Can't imagine why the the old lady who spent her life with this guy would be pissed that he's now you know being duped by this gold digger who's going to come in there and take his his house and his fortune and everything else because you know he's not got many more years left and uh, so you know okay so but there's more to this story I keep feeling that there's more layers going on and he says the whole time I've lived in this house I felt like there's a couple of guys here that were some really really mean guys and they're not. They're not really happy with me here either. And I'm walking through this little house. I'm like, yeah, yep, I kind of feel that too. I go, these guys weren't really, really awesome when they were alive. These guys were real, you know, meatheads. Mm -hmm. And they didn't live anytime soon. These guys are, you know, 17, 1800s or whatever. Come to find out, by the time we get done with this, we were there for three hours. These were the sons of a white settler who had come into this area. And the old man had said, yeah, there's 160 acres attached to this house, but I don't go to any of them because I don't like being on the property. I stay in the house because I, I feel better here. And so there's 160 acres here in this, this, this whole plot of land. These two guys who were still in this house were the sons of this white settler who had come in from the east and decided this was the perfect plot of land and he's just going to take it. Well, there happened to be a small little tribe of Indians here, probably about 100 to 200 Native Americans who were living here and their people had been here for thousands of years and they had lived on the land and raised their horses and all that. And in the middle of the night, one night, this guy come in and slaughtered the whole damn tribe. Oh, wow. Lined them all up, slaughtered them. And mm -hmm. instead of giving them their proper burial, he just piled them all up and burnt them. So now as we, he says, yeah, he says, if, uh, if you go out the, the, the back door there, see where that swing is. He goes, you go a little bit further than that. You're going to feel what I'm talking about. He goes, it don't feel right out there. So my wife and I go out and, oh my God, you want to talk about the misery and sorrow and the absolute just the anger and the fury and the hatred and the, the, the grief. And so I'm looking around and I go, holy cow, we picked up on the, the whole picture. Like he slaughtered these people. This dude, he lined them all up in the middle of the night and just went out. He just, you know, he went out after them like Pol Pot. He just lined them up and just shot them all and then just, just put them in a heap and burned them and said, well, it's my land now. And so... My wife and I, we put out the call that day and we called in the light and said, okay, you can't have your mound. That time has passed, but we're going to let you go to the great spirit. And we looked out and what we could see was mothers gathering up their children, 
We could see the men stomping out the campfires. We saw people gathering up their drums and rattles, and they were all heading in toward the light and going home. And there was probably, a, a, I, I would say at least 150, maybe bordering on 200 people, men, women, and children, all basically gathering up their stuff and going home. And we sat there for like 25 minutes while they were parading past us and just sobbed. It's actually making me tear up a little bit just talking about it. It was, um, it was really emotional. And of course, you know, we went back into the house and we're talking to the guy. I go, I, I think we've, I think we've got everything taken care of out there in the yard. I think you're going to be okay from now on. And, uh, you know, we, it was a, something that probably just needed to be kept to ourselves at that point. But it was, um, that was the first time we'd ever crossed more than like one or two people at one time. And, um, that was a, you know, that was a horrific event that we had to go clean up because somebody else had done something so nefarious and so horrifying that people still couldn't find their way home after that. And so not only are you doing a service for the living, you're also doing a service for those who have passed. Like these, these native Americans are just kind of stuck in this limbo world where, you know, for hundreds of years and, and you allowed them to be able to move on. And yes. Yes. That's amazing. And that, you know, that's what I tell people on the phone. And then whenever they say, look, I think I got a demon in my house. And like, no, no, you probably don't. You probably just have an angry person in your home, but we're going to bring peace to you and them. And we're going to do it in a way that's ethical and it's moral. And that allows everyone to, you know, to come to terms with where they are and what's going on and, and find their peace. And that's what we do. That's what my wife and I do at Epic is, is bring peace to the living and the dead in a way that, that, you know, some, some people might not be able to have access to being able to do. I think that most people can be trained to do this if they open up their mind and put away certain preconceived notions about how things are and accept how things really are. And I think that, that if the human body and the human spirit are built in a way that no one can be excluded from this kind of thing happening or being able to learn how to at least see and communicate. And it, this is not something where I say, oh, no, no, I'm special. Only I can do these things. I'm a, you know, I'm a better and gifted person than everybody else because that's bull. Mm -hmm. I was taught, you know, I saw these things from a kid. I mean, I, I can remember as a kid seeing stuff like this and I just thought it was normal to do that. But I'm not, I'm not exceptional by any means. I just have, a, you know, a more uh, readily available acceptance of the way the universe is built. And I understand it from a spiritual and a scientific point of view. We're like, this is quantum. This is how the universe was constructed. We're not an accident. We're, you know, I've heard people say we're nothing more than just beetles scurrying across the earth. And when we're dead, when biological death occurs, we are gone. And I'm like, no, no, dude, I've talked to enough dead people. I disagree with you. I, you know, and you know, I've got a real good, uh, a friend of mine who, uh, um, he teaches metaphysics um, at a college around here, but he teaches it from the Immanuel Kant, uh, you know, Heidegger, you know, the moral and ethical metaphysics of uh, the idea of ethics. 
And, you know, his idea is biological death is death. That's it. There is no, you know, he goes, Deepak Chopra is wrong. There is no Atman. There is no this and that. He goes, it, he, he goes, there's nothing. We are nothing more than our personalities are a series of biological events that have been laid down in tracks of memory. And once that is done, it's over. And I go, okay, you know, I, I respect your opinion. I, I get that. And I get why you would think that, you know, whenever you see mom die and mom's laying there on the bed and she was breathing one moment and the next moment the color goes out. Yeah. It's easy to say once you're dead, you're friggin' dead and that's it. It's over. But I've talked to enough dead people where I, I kind of, I disagree with that and I'm allowed to. Absolutely. And when did you actually, when did you actually, uh, realize that you had this ability to communicate with the dead and like start seeing people had passed and you said you were very young a child oh it's actually kind of funny um so when i was a kid i had all kinds of psychic visions and all that and i i could see aura and color and and i had all kinds of things and i i can remember you know um one day i woke up and i said uh i told my mom that hey dad came into the room this morning and talked to me and she said, no, he didn't. He never goes in your room in the morning. He wakes up at 5 a.m. And there's no way he walked into your room. And I said, he was wearing this shirt and he was wearing this tie. But the thing was, he didn't have legs. Okay. I said, he looked like an oval portrait frame was around him. And everything around that portrait frame was my room. But in the portrait frame was dad. And all you could see what was in the portrait frame, which was from about the chest up. So she said, well, I'll prove you wrong. And she calls into work and talks to my dad. And she goes, what shirt are you wearing? And it was the shirt. And what tie are you wearing? It was the tie. And she said, did you go in here? Did you go in the boy's room? He goes, I would never go in there and wake those kids up. And she says, how'd you know what shirt he was wearing? I said, I'm telling you, he came into the room, but he didn't have legs. And there was another time where She's standing there uh, watering the plants while I'm having my breakfast. It was summertime. I was eating breakfast a little bit late because I'm going to go out and spend the whole day outside. I'll come back after dinner, you know, and I'm standing there and her aura was completely red and there was like flecks of yellow and orange in it and all that. And I said, hey, you know, around you, like you're totally putting off this, this red vibe around you. And there's like flecks of different colors moving around in it. And she looked over at me and she goes, close your eyes. You're not seeing that. Now shut your face, eat your cereal and go outside and play. Mm -hmm. And I stopped seeing it in color after that. I just stopped looking at it that way. So that was always happening. I could always kind of just, you know, you're always sensitive to that. Then I was always sensitive to it. So I got older and started working and, you know, third shift is, you know, pays more some places. And so I get on the police department. And I don't know that I'm doing it. I, I didn't even realize I was still tuned into that kind of thing happening, but I could always tell when someone's going to attack me. Oh, well, that's a good, that's a good trait to have then. <laughs> it's a good trait to have, you know, I might be standing next to somebody or, you know, standing with somebody next to a car and I say, why don't you reach in there and get your wallet out let me see your ID or whatever. And they would reach in and I, you know, I would just like, you know, the whole spidey sense thing where you could tell what things are. And I would just take a shift over to my left or to my right. And I wouldn't be where they thought they left me. And they would turn around and be like, aha, you know. And so I always had that, you know, something bad's about to happen. I have found people in places where other cops didn't think a guy could hide. I'm like, no, he's right in this. He's right here. 
And I would call out like, seriously, dude, if you don't stand up and show yourself and I have to come in there and get you, you're going to hate me. And they'll come right out. Like, how'd you do that? Like, I knew he was in there. Like, I knew that guy was in there. Wow. And so I do that. And cops do this thing. uh, It it came off of an old Joseph Wambaugh book. It's called Choir Practice, where dudes just sit around, kind of shoot the the breeze after Mm -hmm. a run or whatever. And just kind of, hey, what was that run you had over there on Third Avenue? Like, oh, yeah, you know, this guy was doing this, whatever. So we'll just kind of sit there. We'll take a run and we'll go back out to our cars and just kind of stand there for a few minutes and gab a little bit and Mm -hmm. get in our cars and drive away. And so the whole time, my whole career on third ship, I'd talk to somebody and lo and behold, you know, there's a shadow that moves from the garage to the tree. Hey, did you see that guy? No, you didn't see that guy move behind that tree. No. And I would look and there's another shadow moving from a car over to a garage. Like, you didn't just see that guy over there. So I just quit asking. Okay. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. So the whole time that I'm, I'm working you know, on the police department, I'm also teaching martial arts. And the martial arts that I teach is based on pressure points. It's the George Dillman uh, Karate International. And so the idea is that the kata that they would develop in China, Okinawa, and Japan, the movements in that kata aren't the movements that they tell you that they are. They actually map out like where to attack the next pressure point in line in order to disable the attacker so he can't fight anymore, normally because they're unconscious. So we would practice after class and we sent all the the lower belts home, all of us black belts and instructors, we'd all sit around and kind of practice on knockouts. And so you'd, you'd like, you know, put your arm out, like you're punching somebody and it's like, okay, I want to hit this point, this point, and this point, and it should short circuit you and you'll pass out. And we would do it. And Hey, look at that waking back up. And so we did that for years and I wanted to be able to do it better. So I ran into a guy who was teaching Tai Chi and he was able to move energy. Well, okay, fine. So I trained with him for a year and he says, have you ever heard of this stuff called Reiki? I said, nope, I haven't heard of it. You know, I, I've heard of stuff called violating Indiana state law. (laughs) So, so he says, okay, well, once you come to over to my house, he says, I will do a Reiki session on you because I was telling him what I was feeling while I was doing Tai Chi. It's like, man, my hands are on fire and I can feel this thing going up my spine and all that. He goes, once you come out to the house, I'll do Reiki on you. I think you'd be good at it. So he does Reiki on me. And I went, holy moly, that is incredible. I've never felt anything like that. So he taught me how to do it. And so in March of 2009, I finished training with him on Reiki. And I went into business right then and there. Everybody I could talk to is like, you got to try this thing out. And so I started doing Reiki on everybody I could find. And I was renting spaces from yoga studios and bookstores and, and chiropractic offices and all that. And I've been doing this since 2009. And now I've got this, this thing that I do, Tri-State Holistic Wellness, where I do everything. And right now I'm going to college for therapeutic massage. So in the process of that, Reiki is the transmission of energy from the universe in order to help kind of get you lined back out again. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like, okay, uh, my car is dirty. I'm going to wash it down with water to get the dirt off of it. And now look, it's shiny. Well, it's kind of like that on the inside. I'm bringing, I'm bringing in energy from the universe. I'm going to wash you out on the inside. I'm going to get the energy moving in the channels in the direction that it needs to go. And that way you're all clean on the inside and you can operate again. Right. So in the process of tapping into that energy, I started seeing all kinds of things happening. 
And I would, I would tell some of the people that I would, you know, work with and some other things. And I, I had a, a friend of mine who was a psychic medium. He says, uh, you know, I would tell him, yeah, I was looking on somebody and her dead dad came in the room and we were able to make peace about that. And he goes, okay, well, you need to sit down with me and I need to teach you how to do this. And so he was teaching me how to get into that. And we would go out to lunch and we would go out to dinner. He'd say, okay, look around the room. How many people are in the room? Like, um, there's like 10 people in the room plus two waitresses. He goes, no, no, no. Now blink your eyes and tell me how many people are really in the room. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. There's like eight dead people in here. And he's like, yeah, okay, that's what you do. And so we would go on house clearings and we would go into people's homes and say, okay, let's, let's go cross these people over and let's uh, smudge the place and let's get all this going on. And so that's how I got learning how to do that. And now I do that on my own and, and I, I go into people's homes and I just try to establish the peace there. That's awesome. Now you mentioned smudge earlier too. What, and I was meant to ask you, what, what do you mean when you say you smudge the home? Smudging is an ancient um, practice. This is like thousands and thousands of years old, uh, like 10 to 30,000 years uh, old. And what you do is you're burning specific elements because the smoke uh, helps to clear a space. And so uh, smoke in and of itself, whenever you're doing things like burning incense or you're burning sage or whatever, smoke is a molecule that carries light. And so what happens is, um, you ever like had an old muffler and you knock on it and you could hear the rust inside falling down? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So picture a light bulb. A light bulb works because you're taking 12 lanes of LA freeway traffic and trying to convert that down to a dirt goat path. So what you're doing is you're taking a lot of electrons that have been flying across these uh, lamp cords and across the, uh, the Romex in, your, in the walls of your house, and you're trying to jam all that down so only one molecule at a time will fit through that little bitty tiny element. Those, those collisions, whenever you collide those electrons like that, what they do is they put off light and heat, which is why the bulbs burn out because the filament can't take heat for that long. So what you're doing is you're jamming all that energy into a small space. It puts off light and heat. Now, if the light that was putting off by that filament did not go past the glass, it would be called a dark bulb. Because, yeah, it's putting off light, but I can't see it out here. Your body is the same way. You've got like 75 trillion cells in your body. Each one of those is like a small city. There's a mayor's office, there's a sewage department, there's a production uh, factory. There's actually like 1,500 production factories in every cell. And there's proteins being made. There's uh, sensory things being you know, done by the membranes. You got 75 to 100 trillion cells that are all acting like these individual little cities that are all connected together to make organs and tissues. Now, the energy they put off is not contained within the skin. It goes out past that. That's our aura. That's the energy that we produce out away from us, which is why, you know, in America, we have this thing about, you know, don't stand that close to me. It's uncomfortable. You know, we have this personal space thing in America. In some countries, it, that personal space is much, much closer. 
And Americans got to get, you know, we get right. kind of unnerved if someone from the Middle East or you know, Europe or, or Eurasia wants to stand right next to us to talk to us. It's like, dude, you got to back off. You know, those are fighting distances right there. You know, you keep stepping into me like this, I'm going to swing. Because in America, like, you know, you don't stand that close to me. You stand out here. And you can watch a crowd of people. And if there's two people standing next to each other, one of them will shift. So it's because of the energy we put off. There's a, there's a comfort zone of that. And so what happens is your emotions. Now, remember I said earlier, emotions are real. Thoughts are real. They are a quantum value. I actually read in a book that uh, scientists have now determined that emotions have mass. They actually affect the world around us. So, you know, if you, if you listen to books like The Secret or you watch the movie The Secret or if you know anything about the law of attraction or if you've read The Kabbalion, your thoughts become things. If you think the world is crap, the world is going to give you more crap to think about. If you think the world is an abundant opportunity, then what you're going to see around you is opportunities. Everything that you put out comes back. And we see that with a lot of people we know. You know, it's always the, the guy that complains. Everything happens to me, the Eeyore of the, of the bunch. Absolutely. Of crap does happen to this guy. And, you know, bad stuff does happen to everybody. But it's like some people, it's like, what the hell's going on over here? But it, it's that law of attraction where it's like, you know, there's a reason that's <laughs> happening, I think, sometimes. Yes. In this world, you've got the Eeyores and you've got the Elon Musk, where everything is an <laughs> yeah. opportunity. Mm -hmm. You're right. okay. And it's not because he's brilliant. I mean, he is, but it's because he uses his brilliance and he doesn't go, well, gee, the world's a great big pile of crap. He looks at it like, okay, well, this needs to be done in the world. How do we get that finished? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, if he were an Eeyore, he could not do those things. Right now, he may be weird and eccentric, and most people like that are, you know, there's a very, very fine, uh, thin of a razor's edge between insanity and genius. And we all know this. Okay. So we put off energy everywhere we go, which is why empaths can pick up on other people's emotional states immediately because of the energy they're feeling from other people. The difference is that a lot of empaths will take on those feelings. And if they're in a room full of people, they start losing track of where their feelings end and someone else's feelings begin, which is why you'll see a lot of people say, I don't like crowds. I don't want to be in a room. I don't like to go to parties. I don't like to be in all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, because in about 20 minutes, I don't know who I am anymore because I'm everybody else. Okay. So now if you take that concept and say, okay, every day that you come home from work, you spend the first hour bitching to your wife about your day at work and your boss and this project you had to do and how this coworker backstabbed you and the client's an idiot and doesn't even understand what you produce here and blah, blah, blah. And that's what you do is you come home. And then she says, yeah, that might be fine. You've had a bad day, but I've had this with the kids and the car broke down and I had to have this and we had to tow the car here and blah, 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 blah. And by the way, we got this bill coming up and your mother called and she wants this and blah, 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 blah. And so now it turns into this huge argument, mm -hmm. right? That energy gets put out between the two of you and it goes and it collects into the material structure of the wall of the house. Remember the walls of your house are nothing more than electrons jiggling around. The emotions you put off of you are uh, electrons jiggling around. They just match up and they meet in places, store things. Now, let me prove it to you. Because, I mean, it sounds kind of goofy, but let me put, let me prove it. 
tell me if you don't immediately notice the difference between walking into a hospital, walking into a funeral home, and walking into a cathedral. You definitely do notice. There's the the air changes, just everything about the whole mood, your emotional state kind of changes too. Um, yes. Now, I have not been to Europe, mm-hmm. but what I have heard from people who have is these cathedrals in Europe, you go to, you know, St. Peter's Basilica, that is a humongous edifice. And it is, it's like 1500 years old. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a thousand years old and people walk into there. What state of mind are they when they walk in there? They're just in awe. They're in awe and they are, well, they're, they're coming in there to get close to God. You know, whatever that you, whatever you think that that is, whatever version of God, you know, appeals to you, whatever that is for you, they go in there to get close to that. So they're in a reverent state of mind. They're in a pious state of mind. They're in a forgiveness state of mind. They're in a, uh, I want to just achieve peace state of mind, right? And so when you walk into those enormous cathedrals all across Europe, you walk in there and that energy is in the room and it's been there for a thousand years. You can't walk into those buildings and be pissed. Now, walk into a funeral home. What happens in funeral homes? A, You've got people sad that someone passed. Mm-hmm. And now you've got, you're dealing with friends and relatives that you might not have seen for a while. You might also be dealing with siblings that are fighting over what's left. Uh, and you've got, you know, brothers who haven't spoken for 20 years that don't like each other, but, you know, mom died. We got to be here. Hey, can, can you at least put up with me for an hour? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've got that energy in the room. It's not, you, funeral homes don't feel that way because of the dead people. They feel that way because of the live people. Think about what's happening in a hospital. You've got sick people that don't want to be there. You've got visitors that don't want to be there. You've got overworked, understaffed nurses that are dealing with both. You've got all that energy in a hospital. Everybody says, well, I hate going to hospitals. Well, I hate going to hospitals too, because I know what energy is going to be in there waiting for me. So now, now we get to go back to smudging. We know that buildings store that energy. And we know that when people come home to the sanctity of the other home, they're as real as they're going to be. And the energy that's coming off of them is going to be where it is. And if you drink or you do drugs, that energy coming out is going to stay in that home. Smudging is like tapping on the muffler and letting the rust fall. The smoke goes up. And what I do is I go around the walls of the house. And I let the smoke waft up. And what it does is it breaks loose all that emotional energy and lets it fall to the ground and be destroyed. It's like washing the car. Now everything's shiny. Now, from this point forward, what you bring into the house, that's up to you. You want to come home and shoot up or, or you want to drink and fight and punch your wife in the head. That energy is on you, but I've cleaned the place now. We've tapped on the muffler and the rust has fallen down and now we're in a good place here. Now, the smoke is only half the job. My emotional intention is the other half of the job. And the intention is I want to break up all this energy and I want it to dissipate. I want it to be destroyed. I want it to go away because it doesn't belong here anymore. We want to clean it all out. Now, just like the same way, if you've ever seen those pictures of a fighter jet running through space and he's right at the speed of sound, 
And you've seen those where they got those ventricular clouds right in front of the jet. It's like those those sound waves that get backed up because the sound he's putting out away from him, he's actually at the same speed of them until he crosses just past the speed of sound. And you hear that crack and the clouds blow away. And from down here, we hear the thunder of this. Oh, yeah, another jet just broke the speed barrier, right? Yeah, yeah live in San Diego and tell me how often, you know, you get to hear that, right? <laughs> right. You know, we're, well, I'm over here in Indiana where our, all of our jets are way up in the air and they've got, you know, some, you know, 150 people on them. So think about whenever you're smudging the house, as you're walking through the house with the smudge going on, you're collecting all that energy in front of you, just like a fighter jet collecting sound waves. And just like that, also think about as you're smudging the house, um, imagine the Zamboni driver at the hockey game, right? He doesn't just get out on the Zamboni and just drive around in circles and just kind of just, you know, do this drunken thing where he just goes wherever he wants, right? Because if he leaves one little patch of non-smoothed ice, mm -hmm. one little patch of rough ice can break a guy's ankle. It could cause a major calamity. So he has to use a pattern to keep all the broken ice in front of him and leave the smooth ice behind. In the exact same way that the guy who comes out at halftime during a basketball game, he's got the dust uh, broom and he's going up and down because if he leaves a little bit of dust behind, somebody could slide and throw out an ACL. So when I'm smudging, I'm thinking about all this stays in front of me and I don't leave anything behind. And whenever I get finished with the whole house, it goes right out the front door. So now I've swept the house. It's clear. It's clean. Okay. That explains that. I'd never heard the term smudge before, so yep. that's awesome. Well, a lot of people call it saging. Saging, I've heard, can, yeah. Okay. Smudge. Yeah, well, you can use a lot of different things besides sage. Yeah, the, the four elements of the Native Americans was tobacco, sage, sweet grass, and cedar. And if they wanted to, uh, they, if they wanted to have a moment where they would say, right here's where we're going to build a spot where we're going to talk to great spirit, they would have to clear that space out first. And then they would have to bless that space so it'd be nice and clean. And then they would burn sweet grass and say, hey, well, great spirits, come down here and talk with us and be with us. And so it was a, it was a big process. Though oftentimes in a sweat lodge, they will coat the floor with sage leaves. So that way, as they're burning the rocks and that, that water is being evaporated out of the central pit, it is wafting all that sage up and you get to enjoy that moment of being immersed in that sage and cleansing you so that way, whenever you are in the midst of your suffering and the sweat, your prayers can be heard. I see. Okay. That makes sense. And that's the same thing. Okay. Take a look at um, the typical um, prayer position, right? What's prayer position? Well, I mean, you're basically kneeling or crossing your hands and you usually have Palms together. Palms together. Yeah. They're usually they're usually somewhere near your upper chest. Your hands may either be with straight fingers or with fingers latched. Why did that come about? Why do we have so many paintings of people with their hands pressed together at their upper chest? Why did that become the quote quote prayer position? They even do it at the end of yoga. Stand with your feet together, hands up in prayer position. Now bow, namaste. Okay. That came about because at the time referred to in the Bible, during the time like thousands of years ago, four, four or 5,000 years ago, right? The idea of getting a bath, hell, even up through the Middle Ages, getting a bath was a twice a year event. 
You didn't get a bath every day. We Americans is like, oh my God, Europeans smell. And well, yeah, because they don't, they're not so, like, first of all, they don't coat themselves with a thousand products like we do. And, and they're, they don't, they don't feel the need to strip themselves down the way we do with baths and lotions and soaps and all this other crap with all these chemicals. Now, back, you know, up, up until, well, heck, even my parents would get a bath once a week. And that was in the forties and fifties. Okay. So this is this idea of, I got to get up every morning and take a shower and scrub myself down and exfoliate and all this. That's a brand new thing. So you're talking about a group of people that took a bath twice a year. And even in the Bible that they said that the Hebrews would only do it right before their huge celebrations. They had two big feasts of a year and you had to be clean in order to enjoy the feast. Right. All the other days of the year, you would use essential oils and you would wash your body down with essential oils that would be perfumed. Um, like they would use olive oil or, you know, some other kind of oil from normally from olives because it's the easiest to get at and cut, you know, uh, cottonseed oil is very difficult to get. You have to use hexane, which is what they use to turn crude oil into gasoline, which is why I never eat oils. So in order to keep you from getting staph infections, uh, crotch rot, uh, heat rash, and having bugs and all that other stuff growing in your beard and your hair, because, you know, dudes back then had long hair and long beards. That was a, a mark of distinction. Mm -hmm. So you rubbed oil into your beard. You rubbed oil into your hair. You put oil under your armpits. You put oil in your crotch. And that kept you clean. It kept you sanitary and it kept you smelling nice because, you know, it's hard for you to have kids and build your housely kingdom. If your wife don't want to be around you, naked. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Okay. So now because we know from aromatherapy that every aroma out there, every flower scent, every tree bark, every root, it affects the mind in a different way. If I want to elevate my energy, I will inhale lemon or orange or something like that, pine. Mm -hmm. If I want to relax, which is what I do with my clients in Reiki, I will put lavender on my hands, lavender essential oil. And I will hold my hands over their face so they're breathing in all that lavender and it calms the nervous system. If I want to elevate my spirit, I'll use what the Catholic Church has used for a thousand years, which is frankincense and myrrh. That's what's in those censers that they put out over everybody in the, in the cathedral because it raises the spirit and it essentially raises your vibration so you can commune with God. It also helps because of the smoke to clear the space of any negative energy you brought in, in with you that day. But you'll notice but before they start to do the Eucharist, they always come around and they censor the altar, they censor the elements, they censor everything, and they'll walk through the crowd and they'll waft that big old censor around with them and it's just smoking, right? And the whole place will be filled with smoke. It's to get that place cleared out. So now, if I want to elevate my spirit during a time of personal prayer, I would rub frankincense and myrrh oil on my hands and put them together right underneath my face and inhale that aroma. Ah, okay. That's why we have prayer position. That makes sense. Okay. I yeah. never thought about it, that. So, wow. Yeah. 
that's that's why it's there. It's because of the culture where it came from. It, it you know we think like we're so original, but everything that we do is thousands of years old. We're not all that smart, you know. Well, I have so many more questions, and actually, one thing I wanted to get into, but I don't. I, don't, I think we've run out of time, so I think maybe next time. You, one of your uh, encounters on the job was actually featured on a Travel Channel um, episode of Paranormal Nine One One. Oh and, yes, and I really want to get into that, but I think maybe next time we can maybe go into that. So if people want to check out that episode. I would love to have them next time. And now that during this show, I've been able to kind of expound on the the metaphysics and the quantum physics of what actually happens and what can happen. Mm -hmm. It will allow me to do a lot less backup explaining for what happened on that particular event. Let me just say, if, if you go and watch the show, it's Paranormal 911 on the Travel Channel. You can see it on um, Amazon Prime. You can see it on YouTube. Um, it is season one, episode 12. The episode is called Demon Boss. And uh, it's called Demon Boss because I told the producers when they were filming this up in uh, Buffalo, I said, it was kind of like where uh, you're playing a video game, but you got to go through the minions before you get to the boss. Right. <laughs> you know, you got to go through 28 levels. Like if you're playing Donkey Kong, right, you're going to go through 28 levels of barrels and all this kind of stuff before you finally get to the monkey. Right. And it's, you know, it's just the same thing. I had to go through all these minions before I could get to the boss. And so that I said, you know, it was like the demon boss. And then they said, okay, that's a great name for the show. But if you, if you watch the episode, it's a episode or a season one, episode 12, demon boss. Um, they were supposed to give me up the full hour because they filmed me for almost like two and a half hours, three hours. And they, they were originally said, okay, well, we're, you know, your segment's going to be, you know, the first half hour of the show. So that's 22 minutes after the commercials. And they said, um, Okay, no, actually, I changed my mind. You're going to get the whole show. But what they did was they took my story, and the format of the show is first responders who encounter scary stuff. So that's the whole premise of the show. It's not what they did. It's not well, you know whether they captured evidence. It's like, hey, I'm a cop. I did a burglary call, and I saw something scary. Here's my story. And so because I was a cop when I did this thing, I wrote them the story out and I said, hey, you know, if you want to talk about this, let me have it. And so we got around to filming this. They took my story and had to change it to not only fit the format, but the time frame. So when I do tell you this story, it is much, much different than, than what that TV show, that TV show, like I said, they had to meet the format. They had to meet the time frame. And so that's, you know, that's, I knew that going in. So I'm not even, I'm not even miffed about it. Like, okay, I know this is going to happen, but yeah, if I'm given the opportunity to come back a second time, I would love to go into that story because it is much different. Well, definitely. And I'll have uh, links to that episode in the show notes and I'll have links to all of your, the ways people can get a hold of you, Joe, and um, Absolutely. in the show notes and how, if you, if people need to get a hold of you to, you know, for your business or how would they do that? Well, what's the best way, the, way for them to do that? You can either reach me on Facebook Messenger. Um, you can um, email me at one of my several emails. Um, you can reach me at joe at tristateholisticwellness.com. Or you can reach me at um, epicparanormalpeace at gmail.com. Perfect. And I'll have all of those in the show notes at rivercitymystery.com slash six. So if anyone wants to check all that out. So and you've kind Beautiful. of agreed to be our subject matter expert on all things paranormal in the area. So we'll definitely have you back to talk about, you know, specific issues. Like you said, you know, now that we've kind of 
discussed who you are and what you do, maybe kind of Absolutely. dig in a little I bit would, of the details. So I would relish the opportunity. All right. And if anyone would like to ask Joe any questions, feel free to contact me at rivercitymystery.com slash contact. And just you can leave a voice memo or a text message and I can submit those questions to Joe for the next time he's on the show, or we can maybe even set up, set up a time for the three of us to, to get together and talk. I appreciate you joining me today, Joe, and uh, thank you very much. Oh, I'm, I'm grateful that you asked me to be here. This is a great honor. Thank you.